Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. It's the sixth episode of the seventh season, aired November 4th, 1998. Teleplay goes to David Weddle and Bradley Thompson. Story credit goes to Philip Kim, directed by Steve Posey. In this episode, Odo is contacted by Wayun, who reveals that he wants to defect to the Federation. Meanwhile, O'Brien and Nog sail down the Great Material Continuum. We're joined by Clay, who has just stepped off the Great Material Continuum. How are you? Good. I uh, I just got a new microphone, uh, and so in order to get that, I had to uh, trade my dog for a carburetor from a Hyundai Sonata. Yeah, and then I had to use that to trade for uh, you know those you know those plastic things that they put on the bottom of tables so they don't scratch the floor. Yep. I had to get like three trash bags full of those. I'm not <laughs> sure why, but then after I traded that off. That guy just gave me a check for $100, which allowed me to get the microphone. It's too bad we don't have replicators, right? You could just replicate all these things and no one would have to run around finding them for other yeah, people. Yeah, I know. That's a really good point. Well, you know, uh, is there uh, – I know we've talked about this a billion times. Uh, is Are there rules to the replicator? Like, is it like the T-1000 where it can't replicate machinery? It can only replicate like solid objects. I don't think they've ever said that. Although I don't understand why that would be the case. This is this is a real nerdy deep dive about something that I, I think is one of those things that some people complain about, but I don't care about for this episode. But mm-hmm. yeah, I um, yeah. if the holodeck can do it, I don't see any reason why the replicator can't do that's it. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. The only thing that well, I know that they can't replicate is latinum, and that's why it's money because it can't be copied. Sure, I guess you could argue that the holodeck can do it because it's fake. Sure. But if you, you know, like if you were, if you, if the holodeck were to create a gun, it's a fake gun that is going to operate under the computer understanding of how a gun works. Right. Not necessarily actually, it doesn't actually fire bullets. Mm-hmm. But if you were to ask a replicator to replicate a gun. Is it too intricate? Then, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different pieces. Have you watched um, Lost in Space at all? The new one or the old one? The new one. No, I haven't seen the new one. They have a replicator. Um, or the, and I, the idea of a replicator, but it's actually a 3d printer, which, and I thought it was a really, a really interesting way to handle that stuff. So it, it can, it can print like pieces of stuff, yeah. but it can't do complex machines. So like if they, they need a wrench that can go into the thing and be like, I need a three quarter inch wrench or something like that. And they'll replicate the wrench. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Good it, job. it just can't make complicated computers or things like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think Star Trek has ever officially come down, maybe in some sort of like technical manual that isn't really canon or anything like that. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. I always wondered why um, if they're at war, instead of building ships, they should just build a giant replicator and replicate ships yes. all day. And then you'll have, yeah. a, you'll have a whole fleet that you can go after things with. But let's take a break. I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back and we're going to break down treachery, faith, and is, the Great River. Is that good? Does that work though? Like, you know, the old days of internet where you had the dial up and you're trying to download a photo and it's, you just see the top of it and it just <laughs> it very slowly starts to piece the whole thing together. That's what replicating a ship, I feel. It would take a long time. It would, it would take a long time. It'd be like Minecraft. All right, we'll take a break. The Vorta used to be quite different from what we are today. We were forest dwellers, small, timid, ape-like creatures living in hollowed-out trees. Eating nuts and berries. 
and living in fear of the many predators that would hunt us for food. One day, a wounded changeling came stumbling through the forest, fleeing from a mob of angry solids. Why were they chasing him? What does it matter? Solids have always feared and mistrusted shapeshifters, you know that. Well, a family of Vorta hid the changeling from his pursuers. And in exchange for saving his life, the changeling promised the Vorta that one day we would be transformed into powerful beings. That we would become an important part of a great new empire that would stretch across the galaxy. And the changeling kept his word. That's right. Imagine, Odo. My people were once little more than apes. And look at us now. Look at what you've done for us. All right, so Jeffrey Combs gets a feature episode as Wayun. We meet uh, Nog and O'Brien and their working relationship. We learn a lot about the faith of the Wayun Vorta, the Vorta, I suppose, and the founders. We learn a lot about the relationship between Odo, the founders, Wayun. We learn about the the founders' uh, sickness that has infected them. And we learn about the Ferengi belief in the afterlife, or at least the spiritual uh, guide that sort of powers the universe, according to the Ferengi. What did you think about Treachery, Faith, and the Great River? I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was... I was surprised how much fun I was having with the B story. Um, Because, you know, that stuff can go either way a lot with these uh, episodes. Um, and it was a nice, uh, tone shift from how serious the A story was. Um, I like the idea of the, I like them doing interesting things with the, with the stuff that they've set up, like having, having the clone, one clone defects. So they just activate another one yeah. just to, to fill the void. I thought that was good. I like the fact that they um, killed the way you and we've been dealing with off screen and it's just yes, like treated yeah. as like, it was just a <laughs> workplace accident that took him out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if I was that guy, if I was Damar, is that his Demar, name? Yeah, Damar. Every time I get pissed off, I would just be wrenching these guys, <laughs> in the head, knowing that they can build new ones. It's one. I, I just like that thing where he's. Uh, they're like he was uh, the new Wayun is like he was killed in a tragic transporter thing that we're investigating. Damar's like it's a very thorough investigation that it's not turned up anything yet. <laughs> I, I just yeah, I think that that's really. Um, that's really clever. They're they're doing a good job with that uh, sort of thing, and it, it's neat that they're willing to accept the fact that they're clones and kill the main one off screen, and then introduce these mm. two new ones that you kind of every time something goes wrong, you reboot one and a new one steps in. Yeah, and I liked. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I like that they are adding a bit of desperation to the Dominion because you know, I mean, it is the final season. There's only so much. The, the Dominion War feel like it feels like it's been in kind of a holding pattern. Uh, for a while where it's, it's there, but it's not really doing anything. Yeah, it's just battle after battle, basically, without any... Yeah. So there's no moving of the fronts in a lot of senses. Since uh, they, yeah. the the episode where they took that planet was the last thing that felt like something had happened there, but we're even still, we're not sure where it stands in the great scheme of things. Yeah, and they've they've already done stuff like, oh, if the we've we've done the math out, and if Starfleet, we can only continue this war for another year, you know, that kind of stuff, where... Where they've had Starfleet be desperate before, but this is the first time that they've made the Dominion feel desperate. Yeah, um, which I like. I feel like uh, feel like that stuff could have been its own episode, but I actually like the way that they did it because it's it's uh, uh, literally showing you the cracks in the foundation. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the um, 
the Foundry's getting sick or just the entire uh, defection of Wayun in this episode? All of it. The, that that Wayun's defecting, that the Founders are getting sick, um, that uh, uh, the Damar seems to be running out of patience with this stuff. Yeah. It, it's nice to see desperation and and uh, um, conflict coming from, from the side of the Dominion as opposed to just... Uh, hearing about how many ships the Starfleet's losing right. this week. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really like this episode. I think that it is the first really good episode we've had in quite a while, I think. It, Minus, I could have done without the back rub at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, I guess we can, you can even sort of start there. Like, it starts with that kind of the Odo and Kira thing, but it felt like such a nice turn of events to have Odo back and Kira, because Kira has a good scene where she yells at O'Brien about the desk that's missing. But sure, I mean, Kira has been relegated to getting back rubs and yelling about missing deaths. She is. But that's but a conversation it, for a different time, I guess. I, I would say that she's in she's in command. It's certainly not a Kira episode, so I guess it's kind of hard to hold true, it against true. them for that point. But to to at least have Odo back felt good, and it felt like the the show was sort of recognizing that he needs to be a prominent part. He's too prominent of a character in this entire serialized arc to have him be relegated to that kind of background stuff. Yeah. And what I think is really neat about this one is I think thematic, how they thematically tied up two extremely different plots together is kind of brilliant in a lot of ways. And I think it's a really good take on Star Trek's religion. We we were complaining in previous episodes about how the prophets feel like a weird commentary of Star Trek talking about faith in a strange way. Uh, we compared mm-hmm. it to like Star Wars uh, talking about science and feeling that it wasn't right. This to me is the way that they need to approach the faith aspect of Star Trek, which is it's grounded in this sense of like the Vorta are uh, genetically manipulated to see the founders as clone as uh, gods but Wayun doesn't even care about that. It's like it's an irrelevant thing to him. The only thing that matters to them is that even if they can sort of disprove that the God, quote unquote, is real, the characters approach their faith in a way that it's just how they kind of see the universe being shaded. Like this is the way the things are kind of supposed to be. Even if it doesn't scientifically make sense, it's more of like a subjective approach to life, a philosophy Mm. that they have. And that's way better than just the prophets are shooting fireballs at each other. It feels way more like Star Trek and it's just more interesting and you can build Star Trek narratives around this idea of like Odo doing the uh, by Grabthar's hammer thing and giving the blessing at the end, even (laughs) if he doesn't want to. Like that all makes sense. That's all good faith-based Star Trek stuff. Yeah, I uh, I thought I thought the uh conversation with Odo and and um Wayun where uh you know he says, "Well, don't you think that you were created with the DNA to see the founders as gods?" and he's like, "Yeah, of course." I mean, that's isn't everybody That's what with gods a God? do. That's what gods yeah, do. That's what gods do. Yeah. That's why that's why they're gods. Um I like that stuff a lot and I and I liked that as a sort of uh um a paired scene with the scene with uh, Kira at the end where she talks about the, uh, about the prophets and stuff and how, yeah, they might, they might just be aliens, but to her, they are gods. Right. And I, I, th- I thought those putting those two things together where they were kind of two sides of the same coin. 
um, because Kira is is talking about faith, uh, and um, Weyun is not really talking about faith as much as it's sort of like a, another level of uh, uh, it, it is the God's will kind of thing. Right. So he he's not he Weyun is never. He never has a moment where he's like, yeah, I understand that you're just an alien, but I think you're pretty cool. You know, my people think you're like, <laughs> yeah. my people think you're really cool. That's why we, that's why we love you so much. Like they don't, they don't have that moment. It's just, he, he still believes that him being bred to believe that the founders are gods just doesn't, that just double down on the fact that they are gods. Yes. You know, it's whereas, a, um, what's a, it's like a, I don't know if tautological argument or something. It's saying something and then proving it by saying that thing again. Like, sure. Like they are gods because I believe they're gods. Therefore they are gods. Uh, so it's like a circular argument that he's making. And yeah, I, I, I think that that's effective for them. I think that the, even the Vorta origin story that he tells here is kind of a neat approach to that because it's not like it is a um, creation myth that he's got, mm-hmm. but it's also, very realistic in the sense that the, the the we saved this founder. The founder said, "You will stand at our side." Is basically like our right hand hand species that's going to like help us do this. And so it mm-hmm. takes on this very um, not mythological but like business arrangement that the, the Dominion <laughs> actually are. And so it's like it's a neat combination of the two. And I think that as you're saying, Kira pairs it off uh, well at the end too, which is like it's all about the perception of what these people think. Yeah. It's not about what Starfleet can tell them or what it actually is. It's all about how they feel as characters towards this stuff. And it's just so much better than the prophet said something, so I have to go do it. Like, what the hell is that? That doesn't fit at all into this. And the story that he tells, the creation myth story that he tells, is told... I was kind of surprised that they didn't do this, and actually I'm a little bit happy that they didn't because I think it would have been an easy – it would have been an easy argument for them to get into, and I don't think you need to get into the argument um, here anyway. Uh, the story that he tells, he's telling it from the point of view of the Vorta. There's no looking at it from the side of the fa- – because he goes into the whole thing where he's like, they they told us that we will be their right hand, you know, whatever – and that we will help them build a a a new uh, blah 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 dominion or whatever. new order of the universe, I think, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not. And I was kind of surprised that Odo didn't take the other side and be like, "You do realize that there's a very good chance." First of all, why was he injured? He was running from something, and he chose your species because he realized that you were easily controllable. You know, something like that. Yeah. Where it's we only get the. Uh, the rose-colored glasses version of this creation myth, um, which I think I, I think they could ha- could have had that conversation in a different episode, but I'm kind of glad that they didn't because I think it would. Well, I don't know because I think you could do that, and maybe that would l- add a little bit more even to the thing at the end where he gives him his blessing. Um, but maybe it's too on the nose. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's because it, it, it would also lead into the conversation with Kira at the end. Where she's like, listen, man, you know, they're gods if they, if you're a god, if they think you're a god, it's, there's really not much you can do about right, it. Right. Exactly. Which, which is, um, which Odo comes to that realization, I think, at the end. Like, I, it's a pretty important episode for Odo. And just, it's the first time that he 
The, the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar have referred to him as gods before, but I think that this episode is important in showing Odo what that means to them as to mm-hmm. what, what it means for them to be a god. And I, I even think that the, um, like, the, the Weyun Six's plot here, which is why he wants Odo to come back, is because he wants Odo to do the Vorta thing and reboot the founders. Not Like, he will be the clone that steps in and sort of does a different thing for the Dominion. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it all it all just like ties together really nicely. And his his origin story. If, if Odo were to bring it up, I would Odo I want Odo to push back on that story a little bit by talking about you're saying is like the perception of things because the rest of the episode is about perception. It's about what a perception of a yeah. god is and things like that. So if mm-hmm. if he pushes back on the story and says that maybe there's a different side to that, I think that that would help in fleshing it out. But at the same time. I think the point of his story is just to explain why the Vorta have this debt, obviously. It's, it's, it's why the Vorta are in this relationship and why they view the founders as like uh, sort of generous gods in a way that the other societies don't. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really like even the, they, they do such a good job that they even make the Ferengi belief system sound interesting <laughs> in a lot of ways. Like, and the, Fer- yeah. the Ferengi Great River idea um is just supply and demand on a spiritual level it's the idea that the universe has different things in different places so we're our spiritual destiny is to bring things to places that there are none and that's how we make a profit off of it which is really right like they do it in a way that doesn't actually make fun of the ferengi either like it makes sense in a spiritual um way that the ferengi would view the universe this way but it's also not done as a joke so it's kind of cool that they did it uh, like that yeah, I I liked it actually also cuz it it sort of um undercuts a little bit the idea that the Ferengi are solely just greedy cuz this this understanding of how it works makes it feel more like there is a certain um satisfaction from every transaction, right. you know? Yeah. Like like there's like you know, he explains it obviously better than I could, but it, you know, it's the uh the push and pull of supply and demand on a spiritual and cultural level that isn't just a, isn't explicitly just about making money. Right. Um, that is part of it. It becomes part of it. Well, um, they've had those scenes where Quark uh, has in previous episodes, Quark is sort of waxed philosophical about why he enjoys it. And this adds a little bit of grounding to that. I think where they, they get something uh, philosophical and satisfying out of what they're doing. And I think if you, if you eliminate the money aspect, you can almost as a human relate to what they're doing. Kind of like there's something satisfying about like they're trying to seek equilibrium in the universe almost in a very strange way. They're trying to just like provide people with everything. They take the most greedy aspects out of it, but it's it's neat to have that as the backbone to what they're trying to do. Yeah, I uh, if they had more time, I would actually like to have seen a Ferengi episode where you meet uh, fundamentalist Ferengis. <laughs> <laughs> who are not interested in latinum or money at all yeah. they're just into the the uh the good the good works that they do in in transacting and 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 giving one thing for another and bringing something in Filling, filling an empty space with, with what's needed. And I think that would be kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, they'd be like Ferengi nonprofits, basically, or something, where the, the, yes. the profit is divided amongst everybody equally, but because they've done a good job of sort of selling their products or moving supply and demand and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, um, I think it's maybe the best Nog episode 
that we've had. He's not yeah, he's not so. treated as a corny Ferengi. He gets the job done. He he has good chemistry. Aaron Eisenberg had good chemistry with um Colmini and stuff. And I I outside of the replicator problem of why don't they just replicate all this stuff, I think that it's it's it provides a good amount of comedy and stuff. I like the scene, the the sort of throwaway scene of Martok going like, what the fuck happened to all my bloodline? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a cute little B story that really works well in the context of the serious A story. And I think that it's, it's it does a, a good job of thematically being interesting. And I think that the episode itself is like, it's just, it's, it's funny when you watch so many of these episodes and you run into an episode that's like about something. And you, you've mm. been watching these episodes that have not been about anything. They've just been sort of a an idea that's going on or like Bashir trying to have sex with that woman that he fixed or things. And it, it's mm-hmm. nice to have something return to the DS9 narrative and do something with it. Which actually, I'll, I'll ask you a question here. Sure. Is, um, you know, there's always this hot button. This is a very clickbaity thing to ask. There's always these hot button like is Discovery Star Trek and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man! Can't, well, let me. I'm gonna destroy it. <laughs> we'll are we, re- are we recording? Are we recording this? Because <laughs> I want people to hear me destroy it. So, TOS, the animated series, total takedown. TNG, sorry, Voyager, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very episodic sci-fi stories. That uh, like if you were if you were to build a Star Trek franchise off of it, you would probably build it off of TOS and then maybe even TNG. You would say because TNG is not that different from TOS; it's kind of an evolution mm-hmm. of it. Is DS Nine a good Star Trek show, mm. or is it a show that just has a Star Trek banner on it? Um. I would like to think it's a good Star Trek show. Mm. I, I I understand what you mean. I'm being though. a little trolly with this because I think it, yeah. it is Star Trek. But sure, yeah. If you if you it's, just want to go off what you think, I what I, what I'm trying to get at here as to whether or not it's good. Well, it's, Star it's Trek. it is. Uh, if you're go if you're basing a franchise off of the original series in TNG, uh, then there are certain elements that you would expect to be present in. A Star Trek series that Deep Space Nine does not have, namely trekking amongst the stars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think even and, on a on a sorry not to interrupt, but like on a um, yeah. a structural level, DS Nine thrives when it moves away from the standard Trek storytelling methods, and yeah, it struggles yeah. mightily when it has to do standalone. Uh, sci-fi based episodes it just can't do mm-hmm. them for some reason they're very not they're really not very good but when it moves into this war arc and it moves into sort of a long-running character work uh stuff that they've been building off of and you have episodes that are more character based and everything it's much better however most of the other star trek shows don't do that very well so on a right. on a level of like how you define star trek is DS9 doing Star Trek right, or is it doing its own thing under the banner of Star Trek, I guess is what I'm kind of hinting at. I don't think it matters, but I think that it's interesting how different DS9 is from TNG and Voyager and things like that, and Enterprise even. Yeah, you know, I, what I was going to say, the thing that makes it different, but I, th- I think makes it still Star Trek, is that it is taking the things that were uh, 
laid out before and sort of inverting them or at least exploring them from a different angle, um, which I think still makes it st- – I, I think that still makes it Star Trek because they're dealing with the same uh, concepts and themes, but just not necessarily from the same angle as, as TOS or TNG does. Uh, like, you know, we've we've talked about before how Cisco seems to be a very anti – he seems to be the black sheep Starfleet captain who's who's very much not – doesn't feel like he's cut of Starfleet cloth. But when you actually look at him and look at the stuff that he does in the show, he is very much a Starfleet captain. He, he is – he is constantly pushing uh, – he's constantly being forced to test the uh, the – the limits of, of what that means. Yeah. And, uh, so I think, I think it's, it is a star, it is a good Star Trek show in that it is taking, giving more credence to some of the, uh, uh, the more fundamental concepts by, by sort of, uh, breaking them down and exploring them in, in a different sort of way. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, maybe I, uh, this doesn't totally apply to this conversation, I guess, but I, we have a friend who uh, every time Deep Space Nine comes up, he always scoffs at it because he is a huge uh, Babylon 5 fan. Mm. And he always says that Deep Space Nine is just a poor man's Babylon 5. And I never watched Babylon 5 because uh, it seemed real boring. <laughs> but I would like to know, because uh, I know a lot of people listening have watched Babylon 5, how you feel as far as that goes, as far as Deep Space Nine versus Babylon 5 goes, and whether or not, does Deep Space Nine feel like it is a reactionary show to Babylon 5, like they kind of ripped it off a little bit? Or like, I'm not sure where uh, fans of both stand as far as that goes. Yeah, yeah, because... Because, because uh, I mean, if if that is the case, if Deep Space Nine is a reactionary show to, to Babylon 5, then I think you could argue that, yeah, they kind of took Babylon Five and slapped Star Trek on the top. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a interesting way to think about it because it's it, it th- that would actually make sense if you're going for like Babylon Five and it's sort of like you know the the mythology that surrounds that is it was written all before they started filming and he like he had sure. the whole idea and everything has gone perfectly and stuff like that. Uh, it stands directly in the face of the TNG TOS methodology of making TV shows and. Like, I, I think that the thing about DS9 is if you were to watch Treachery Faith in the Great River, right, as like a one-off thing where you just drop somebody in and said, watch this episode of Star Trek, mm-hmm. I, there's, I don't think there's a way that you like this episode, really. Like, sure, too much of it is built on knowing what these characters are, and even if the bones of the story make sense in and of itself, it's still not satisfying to watch it on its own like that. And I think that as as we're wrapping up DS9, I'm kind of coming to the realization that if you were to sit me down and say, let's watch an episode of Star Trek, DS9 episodes will always be in the back for me. Even if I think that the show is superior in a lot of ways, and it's inferior in some ways to TNG and things like that. But if you if you were to offer me just sit down and watch one episode, it's very unlikely to be a DS9 episode. Because I think so much of it is woven into the entire series in a way that the other shows aren't. And I think that the other shows not being that way is the strength of those series, where they are making television that can kind of stand on its own in one little chunky segment. DS9 is the black sheep and it tried to do something different, but it's so different from the way that the other shows operate. It leaves me wondering if, indeed, as you say, it's more of a Babylon 5 clone than anything. Yeah. It's, 
it's it is strange because I think you could watch. I think it is probably strangely enough the most dependent on you being familiar with Star Trek. Yeah, because if you just sat down and started watching TNG from the beginning, you you get it. You, I mean, they're laying everything out for you. You know, it's it's fairly clear how things work. It's the captain's log of a series. They give it right to you at the front. They explain everything right. that's going on. Right. Deep Space Nine, you kind of have to earn Deep Space Nine because you have to be familiar with, with Starfleet. And, and uh, I mean, shit, the first episode is about Cisco losing his wife during Wolf, five, what is it, 3579? Five, three, five, yeah. And yelling at Picard, who, if you're unfamiliar, you're like, yeah. who the hell is this character he's talking to? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, unless you are unless you are familiar with the show, that's not going to make any damn sense. And I mean, I guess you could cuz they don't do they even I don't even remember if they really get into why he's mad at Picard. Like I don't think they split explicitly mention that oh at this point he was a bore. Right, yeah, I don't and, I don't think they do. Probably because that would confuse new wife. people. Uh but yeah, you're right. It's like you it just gains a whole it gains a level of depth to it when you understand the previous relationships with these characters and what they did, where it's, it functions as a story where it's like, Oh, that guy, I guess wronged him or something and caused his wife to die or he thinks it did. But you, to understand that the, the setup for DS nine is to undermine the character of Picard and TNG from the very get go yeah. is yeah. like more profound than just watching it and not understanding any of that stuff. Yeah. And you know, like, when Worf shows up, you have to understand who Worf is in order to realize why that's a big deal. Right. Um, and yeah, I think it is the most dependent on, on the other shows where, I mean, you can watch Voyager and get it, yep. you know, Voyager, the concept of Voyager is pretty clear. Um, and they are explicitly removed from Anything other Starfleet you know. stuff yep. anyway. Yep. Uh, Enterprise, I don't, I've never watched it, but I feel like it's probably the same thing where you're going to get it pretty quickly. First two seasons, um, standalone. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Deep Space Nine re- is really one that you is a little bit more harder to break because of how uh, how much it is tied to the uh, ideas set up before it and how it is inverting those. I don't think I don't. That's not to say that I don't think you could enjoy it because I think you could. Um, I just think it would be. I think it's a. It would take a little more googling. I think in this day and age, there would be a uh, a uh, uh, Deep Space Nine companion. I think you would have to read. Um, or maybe when they put it on Blu-ray, they could put out an annotated version where every time something happens, like Cisco yells at Picard, there's a little asterisk that pops up and you click that. It's like he's yelling at Picard because during this time he was, you know, that kind right. of thing. Right, yeah. No, exactly. I um, and I think tying it into bringing you back to Treachery Faith and the Great River, I think that it's just a the the storylines that they developed here, in particular, like the the faith aspect and everything is just the result of a slow build to get to this point. Like Odo ends up at this episode in a place that I think is appropriate for him at the end of season, uh, or at the midway point of season seven or wherever we are. He has to, he has to be start to be brought back to terms with what the founders are for himself. Mm -hmm. And they do that really effectively here, I think. And the founders getting sick is a good way to bring this up and introduce uh, that sort of idea. And to that be the reason that Odo would be responsible for rebooting everything. But it's just the the point is that it's taken 
a very long time for him to get to that point. He went through this horrible stretch with Kira where we're not sure if he was still a character or anything like that, but it's good to have him return, be prominent. It brings the Dominion War back into focus, and it's strange. I guess we could just end on this point because we talked about the episode, but I almost feel a weird kickback to um, when people say that the show isn't focusing on the war enough uh, mm-hmm. at that point, which is a criticism, I think, that we've both actually had at this point when the episodes start to meander. I, I feel weird saying that the war is the main reason that DS9 is watchable at this point. Yeah. But all the best episodes deal with this universe that they've set up. And that ties into my point before about how they're not really standalone stuff. It's you want them to deal with the things that they've uh, done about before. And I think that getting back to that is really good. And I hope the season just continues to sort of focus on the war because at this point, that is the thing that's defining DS9. Even if I feel weird about saying like, what's happening in the Dominion War at this point? If there's an episode that even uh, slightly uh, sidesteps it for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Let's say here. Anything else you want to talk about Treachery Faith? Um, I did want I did want to mention how I thought that the Jem Hadar uh came up with a fantastic plan to to uh sniff out Oda which was just start blowing up rocks. <laughs> uh, that was like uh, no one no one ever does that. Like anytime there's a situation like that it's always like them, oh, they're sneaking around. Oh, they're so close. Oh, tension, tension. This time was like, no, what if we just start blowing up these ice balls? They're, they're, they're going to be inside water. They're in one side of water. I actually thought that um, that space scene looked really good for Star Trek. It did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought it was kind of neat looking. Um, yeah, and the, uh, I guess the the sacrifice of, we, we can talk a moment, I guess, about the blessing, because I think it's pretty important for the Odo character. Uh, Odo blesses him at the very end, very reminiscent mm-hmm. of... Uh, galaxy quest there which i'd wonder <laughs> if they're uh parodying or something but um yeah what do you wh- what's your where do you stand on odo at this point like what are you what are you thinking about odo or where he stands as a character and what he what he sort of has to do at this point um i think that final scene with kira was uh was nice and where they ended the episode was nice where he's saying that all i know is that you know, whoever wins this this war, I'm going to lose. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a nice recentering of of his character as far as where he stands between both sides of this stuff because you know he got kind of lost in the mix. Um, you know, with the Kira stuff and whatnot. Um, he's always been set up as the impartial middleman who doesn't feel like he's anywhere. He do, he doesn't feel like he's of any world that he tries to fit yeah. in. He's, he's that stock character in Star Trek, but here they're really drawing a, a firmer line by having the war result be so damning to him. Like he can't win no matter what happens. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I really like that. I think, I think having that focus put back on, on, on where he stands is, is, uh, is really important. Um, that scene, this, the, the blessing scene specifically, uh, was, was good. Um, I, it, it, it made me, it reminded me of a, there's an old, um, hammer Dracula movie mm-hmm. called Dracula has risen from the grave that I really like, uh, where, um, the main character is an atheist and the plot of the movie essentially is that in order to defeat Dracula, they have to, uh, seal the 
gates of his castle by putting a cross on it and then um, saying a prayer and blessing it. Yep. Which he cannot do. And even <laughs> at, at the end, through the whole thing, he's like, I can't do it. Yeah. I don't, I can't, I, it's not something I can do. I can't complete this task. But luckily there's a, there's a, a disgraced priest there who, uh, who, pull, who, you know, re, uh, redeems himself by pulling his weight. But, um, I, I was thinking of that cause I was thinking like, man, it would be so fucking dark if they did that thing where, uh, Wei Yun is dying and he's like, will you bless me? And Oda's just like, no, I can't, it's not, I can't do it. Yeah. It's not yeah. something I can do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think having him do that is a nice way to kind of show his thought process about where he stands and where the founders necessarily stand. That's is, the, that's is the inflection point. Depending on what you think yeah. Odo takes from this episode is whether or not he blesses Wayun at the end, I think. Yeah. 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 So I I I mean if it were operating under that interpretation the episode is actually a shift away for him from Starfleet in a lot of ways. Uh, it is a, not that he accepts what the founders are now, but he is more willing to, I think he kind of buys into Wayun's argument here at the end where he, if he doesn't think that he can just kind of go back and do a coup, he thinks that something is possible. He needs to be an agent of action and do something yeah. in order to have the end result that he wants. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's there's an element where you could you could kind of get into Odo's face and be like, dude, you're one of these people. You have some sway. What have you done? Yeah. You know, you you spent so much time fence sitting that you haven't you haven't really tried to do anything here. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a curious lack of abuse of power that Odo has had with his founder abilities or his um reputation as a founder amongst the Jemadar and everything like that. He he doesn't use it too often. I think that makes sense as a as a character thing, because he's unwilling to accept that he is a founder. So he wouldn't really right. be willing to abuse that power. But there are certainly situations where you think that having Odo around would be helpful uh, because he is a founder. If the Jemadars start knocking on your door. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least you could, he could turn himself into the mother there and be like, yeah. Hey, back <laughs> off guys. I, I like that. Like the, it even comes down to the way seven has to hide from the Jemadar that he's on board the runabout. So that they'll shoot it because otherwise yes, they, they won't yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. We'll read some patron thoughts, give our final thoughts about treachery, faith, and the Great River. They say voluntary termination is quick and painless. I'm afraid it's not true. I'll get you a pain suppressor. That won't be necessary. But there is one thing you can do for me. What's that? Give me your blessing. I, I can't. Please, Odo. Tell me I haven't failed, that I've served you well. You have, and for that you have my gratitude. And my blessing. All right, everybody. So if you are interested in today's content, if you enjoyed today's content, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month, it gets you extra stuff, extra podcasts. It helps support the show as well. So Special shout-out goes to our Captain Tier supporters, Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Carrier, this is not correct. What am I doing here? There we go. Let me do this again. Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, David K. Were you reading your enemies list? It was, yeah. Those are the people. I had a few crossed off, and I don't want to cast suspicion on myself. Uh, David K., Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Icy Unicorns, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, 
Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elliott, Samuel Custer, Grim Santos, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, All 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for uh, supporting the show. And if you're interested in us hearing or talking about Voyager the whole way through, you have to go to Patreon to figure out what that's all about. So go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. All right. Patron thoughts. Supporters of the show on Patreon get to leave their thoughts. So we read them. Number one, for treachery, faith in the Great River, Norman Buckwald. First, Nog really regresses into literally a Ferengi asshole in this episode, absolutely forgetting what Jake did to him in, in the cards and acting like it's all about Stembolts again. The fact he's totally oblivious to making O'Brien suffer makes the attempted comedy seem out of place. The obvious strongest story is Odo and the defective Wayun. Wow. Learning about what's happening to the founders, of which will become a major plot point for the rest of the series, and Odo contemplating being seen as a religious figure and giving Wayun a blessing. It shows how far Odo has come and signifies both how he's like and yet how he's different and better than the founders in general. Great Odo story, only weakened by O'Brien and Nog's story. Still a four out of five. I actually thought that um, it's maybe my favorite O'Brien must suffer episode <laughs> because yeah. it's not over the top, but it still fits that theme of him getting uh, bossed around and yelled at by Cisco, Kira, and Martok and stuff like that. I like, yes, I like yeah. the. Um, it's almost an impetus for that uh, O'Brien at work comic. Like yeah. you feel the the connection there, where he's just being yelled at all the time, and he can't really stand up to anybody. Yeah, I and I, I forgot about that episode with Jake, where it's essentially the same thing, but it's played for much more. Um, is it Jake that's shuffling stuff around, or is it also Nog in that situation? Both of them. They need to get the card, so they're doing things. And they also did this in a very early season episode. They did the same thing where well, they who, had to kind of shift around things to get what they wanted. Is it not? In that other one, is it not that Jake is doing it and Nog is the reticent one? In the the cards episode? Yeah, in, in the cards. There is there is a reticence to Nog. Why is he reticent in that one? Because he, he doesn't want to do it for the baseball card, but there's something dangerous about it, isn't there, that they're doing? I can't remember. I don't but remember. I think anyway, Jake my, is the one that has to do it, yeah. The, the point is that I, I forgot about that episode, and it is kind of weird that they do kind of the same story with the same character, but have him on different sides of the equation. Yes. Yeah. That, that yeah. sounds true. Yeah. I don't remember why he wasn't willing to do it in the other one. Um, I like this characterization better because it ties into his Ferengi-ness. And I think importing... Nog's important because in a way that like Quark is when he's really good, he brings a different... Um, Quark is interesting because the, you could almost argue he is like the... Uh, the startup company that is kind of breaking the rules to get ahead in a lot of ways. Like he is, because he's small and mobile and he's not um, 100% into these like big corporate rule sets or anything, he's able to finagle his way to what he wants by the end of it. And I, I think that that's kind of neat. Like it shows the um, how Starfleet is stuck in the ways and O'Brien doesn't want to do things that are against Starfleet regulations. Nog, uh, shows the other side of that coin where you have to be a little bit um, willing to go out there and try different things to get what you want. So, Yeah, yeah. Let's see here. Hershey Faith, that's that. Dwayne Hackett says, another favorite of mine, I think this episode perhaps given more about the Vorta and their relationship, has perhaps given us more about the Vorta and their relationship with the founders than any other episode. I love the contrast between Weyun and his complete devotion to Odo, the god, and Odo, Odo's inability to accept the title of deity. A few nitpicks. If Weyun Six really did think the war was bad, why did he not take something to give to a data to give to Odo a data rod or something would have been helpful? Could he also not fake his own death, especially if order Odo had ordered him to? And why didn't he? And Weyun Seven did not show enough reverence to Odo after nearly killing him. Just my two cents. 
I'm still torn as to if Odo gave him his blessing out of pity or out of acceptance in that way Yoon could not see him any other way. Overall, a solid app. Definitely one to put on to watch as part of the overall Dominion arc. The B story with O'Brien Nog at the captain's desk, pure comedic gold. The writers were firing on all cylinders with that one, a four out of five. You know, I um I did think that uh, at the end there, Odo got surprisingly little from this guy as, as in the way of information. Like they were in that ship for a while. As soon as they started getting gunned down, I would have been like, so. Tell me, tell me everything. Just in, <laughs> just in case, uh, I'm going to run a recorder and why don't you just start talking? Um, but at the end, I, you know, I, I thought the same thing when he, when he kills himself I was like, couldn't you just pretend? But obviously that's, that's not the story they're telling. So. Yeah. Yeah. Odo, you're just a, personal dig at the the oh, uh, Wayun 7 or something there. He's like, Wayun 6 before he died told me, all the Wayun clones have very tiny penises, unfortunately, for you, Wayun 7. <laughs> so just I'll see you later. I, I liked the, um, uh, Dwayne is mentioning that he didn't think that Wayun is uh, deferential to him enough. I think he is. He wishes him like a good, safe journey home and things like that. Um, right. I, I think that that, that kind of works. Um, and what was the other point? Faking his own death. I think that the... Uh, it's one of those things that to serve his God completely, he can't fake his death, right? He has to die right. to yes. make sure that this yeah. happens. Yeah. He can't get found out or anything like that. Um, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure even if, even if he did do that, he would be like, you know, morose with, uh, with having lied or failed, failed in somehow. You right. Know, one of those yeah. Things. Yeah. I, I, I think it's necessary. It's the, the total devotion there requires that to yeah. happen. Uh, yeah. treachery. And he does it. He does it before they can formulate a plan or anything. It's not like, it's not like uh, um, Odo goes. Wait a minute. Maybe there's a way out of this. He just turns around and the dude has already killed himself. Yeah. So. yeah. Point extra G says, as I post this comment today, I unfortunately saw in my news feed that Aaron Eisenberg has passed away. Nog was one of my favorite <clears throat> characters on DS9. There are a few episodes this season, including this one, that really showcases acting skills, and he will be missed. He is good in this one. He's a very good uh, performance yeah. as Nog. Yeah. Uh, not. That one, Zam Nuclear Wessel says, I love both of these plots, but what strikes me as the most is strikes me the most is a parallel to Battlestar Galactica. The Jemadar would refuse to destroy a ship with Odo on it, just as the metallic Cylons refused to destroy Galactica when they learned that the final five are on board. And Wayun and Damar, just like the skin job Cylons, figure out a treacherous way treacherous way around this. Good point. Matthew Ross says. After the opening scene with Odo and Kira, which we really didn't need, I heard Clay screaming, No, stop! It was otherwise interesting. On the B-plot, I found it hard to believe that O'Brien, the experienced military officer, was unable to fathom the semi-quid-pro-quo nature of the cliché quartermaster, and to hear Nog cite in Adam Smith's economic theory is always exciting for Star Trek. So I guess there's some stuff that they just can't replicate. That aside, the Wayun defection and his clone defect was a new insight into the Vorta. Combs' delivery always makes you wonder if the character is lying or if this was a ruse. The fact that the Vorta are space Oompa Loompas is hilarious. Makes you wonder if Willy Wonka was actually a founder. The foreshadowing of the disease is intriguing, but since the defective way you mentioned the link is, is infected, does that mean that they're going in and out of the wormhole unchallenged and not sending reinforcements? I guess so. Don't think about it. Just massage Kira. Final comment. Will Yates. Finally, an episode that looks into Ferengi society without me cringing. I also really enjoyed learning more about the Vorta. The creation myth was interesting, but what really got me was the struggle between programming and personality for Wayun 6. I can only imagine how difficult faith would be if you believed in the divinity of a species, but had a rift within that species as to what the right course would be to follow. For an episode with so much exposition, I think the, play, the pace is great, and I didn't feel like I was in a classroom at all. 
Good to see Damar is still killing people he doesn't like. Lastly, I really feel for Odo. He's very much an island unto himself. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about that episode. Clay, what are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five? Uh, I'm going to go four. Yeah. Why is it not a five? Um, I think it is... Uh, I don't think it's an all-timer. Um, I think it's really solid, but it's not one that I don't think springs to mind. If I'm, if someone says, "What are the five or ten best episodes of Deep Space Nine? It's not, it's not one that really sticks out to me like that. Um, it's a, I think it's, it's a, good. It's a building. It's, it's really a, um, it's an episode that really works better in context of other things. It's not like the plot or yeah. narrative really sticks out right. as something great, but it's it's really effective in terms of what it does for the characterization of everyone, I think. So that's that's why it's not a five to me. I'm also giving it a four. It's just because the the episodes like Bones itself aren't particularly fantastic. They they work right. very well, but they don't stand alone on themselves. Yeah, that was my that was what my other point was gonna be, yep. is that it it uh it re- it requires too much um uh uh, extracurricular reading to understand the text or appreciate the text. Yeah. Yep. Um, like you, like you can, you can sit someone down and watch and, and show them duet and they'll get it, you know? Right. Uh, this one is like, okay, sure. It, it doesn't quite have the, pu- it's still good. It just doesn't have quite, quite the punches it does. If you understand everything that's going on. Yep. hundred percent. So we're both going to give it a four. I like this episode. I think it's a very pleasant uh, thing to watch. And I think it's, they did a good job with the uh, the writing of it and the characterization. And I think it's important for recentering Odo, all that stuff. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us on Patreon. Otherwise, you can click all the social media links down below, Facebook, Twitter, Discord. Instagram is down there as well. And I think that's pretty much it. I don't think we have anything else to talk about. There are short tracks that are posting. We're going to do those as we lead up to Picard. And I think we're going to be done with DS9 a couple weeks before Picard starts. So uh, fingers crossed that that happens because I don't want to have to do both series at once. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we sign off? Um, not really. Getting close to the end of uh, Badass. I think we've got two more episodes left. Um, and I'm not sure what we're going to do in between seasons two and three because uh, there's no other ba- Batman cartoon movie to bridge that gap. So uh, if anybody has any ideas or whatever, feel free to throw them over to us. Sure. Follow Clay on Twitter. You can yell at him. There's Badass Podcast at Twitter, too. So um, let him know what you guys would be interested in hearing about. Do all the Batman films, every Batman maybe, book. Maybe we'll do the... We, <laughs> we were talking about doing an all-Batmobile an all episode mm. where we just talk about the different Batmobiles. Uh, so maybe we'll do something like that. Pick out your favorite Batmobiles, guys. Let Clay know about it, and they'll talk about it for badass. So I think that's it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Season 7 of DS9 continues. We're almost done. We're almost at the finish line. I was looking at it. There's only a handful of episodes left before the final arc kicks off. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 